Thank you, Christine. You really blessed me. Thank you. Blessed us all for your testimony. And first time I've heard you sing solo. I've really enjoyed it. You've been holding out on us. Uh, to begin tonight, I'd like to uh, read an excerpt from uh, Ely Weasel's book entitled Night. Some of you may have read this book. Uh, Weasel is a Jewish survival of the World War II death camp at Auschwitz. And uh, Weasel writes, As the train stopped around midnight, we saw the flames rising from a tall chimney into a black sky. We stared at the flames in the darkness. A wretched stench floated in the air. Abruptly, the cattle car doors opened and the SS ordered everybody out. And we jumped out. In front of us were those flames and in the air the smell of burning flesh. Not far from us, flames, huge flames, were rising from a ditch. Something was being burned there. A truck drew close and unloaded its hold. Men, women, and children were being thrown into the flames. He writes, Never shall I forget that night. The first night in the camp that turned my life into one long night, seven times sealed. Never shall I forget the smoke, the faces, and the flames that consumed my faith and my desire to live. Never shall I forget those things, even if I were condemned to live as long as God Himself. Never shall I forget. In his book, Weasel makes the comment that to write it even was hard for him because he could never, he said the language, the language cannot contain the horrors of what he experienced. He, he said the dictionary and the uh, thesaurus was not adequate for him as he tried to articulate the horrors that he had witnessed. So how do men get to the place where they can commit evil like this? We know. We're Bible believers. We know what God says about the, the heart of man. Just a few verses for you. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Ecclesiastes 9.3 The hearts of the son of men are full of evil and insanity is in their heart. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart of man is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And you'll recognize the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 21. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, Wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things proceed from within. Some of you may be saying, well, Jim, that's an interesting history lesson and theology lesson, but what, is, what has it got to do with what James is talking about uh, in chapter 3 of his epistle regarding the tongue? Well, I submit to you it has everything to do with James chapter 3. And what God is telling us about the tongue. Why does the death camp at Auschwitz exist? Why were the ovens and the chimneys built? Why was Weasel kidnapped and 
stuffed into a cattle car and transported there? Why is he seeing uniformed, educated, intelligent, and, an, and otherwise civilized men throwing men, women, and children into the fire? How could ghastly horrors like this ever be known on the face of the planet? How did Nazi Germany ever arrive at this place? James chapter 3, verse 6. That's how. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and uh, set on fire by hell. The message paraphrase is very insightful. Let me just share it with you. By our speech we can ruin the world. Turn harmony into chaos. Send the whole world up in smoke. And go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. So how do men get to this place? How did Germany get to this place? It rolled off the tongue of Adolf Hitler. Right? It rolled off of his tongue. He led Germany to ruin countless lives. Turn harmony into chaos. Send most of Europe up in smoke, and it was the smoke from the pit of hell, the hell that uh, was alive and well in Hitler's heart. It came over his tongue, and it was unleashed. It was unleashed in Europe. By his tongue, hell was unleashed. You say, well, Jim, that's an awful stark contrast. You're, draw you're drawing a really dark picture here about the human tongue. I know, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do that. You know, some people come to James chapter 3 and they think it's all oh, it's a nice little devotional about not gossiping. Friends, it's much more than that. God is deadly serious about how we use our tongue. And He has a lot to say about it in the Scriptures. You know, yeah, Hitler's a, an extreme example, but unfortunately not an isolated one. Paul Pot killed millions. Stalin killed millions. Mao killed millions. And where did it begin? Obviously, it began in their hearts. It rolled off their tongue in rhetoric. That's where it began. It began on their tongue. And men gathered round them and believed them. And they slaughtered millions. They slaughtered millions. And when the next Holocaust comes, it will occur because it's come off the tongue of a man. It's welled up out of his heart. The hell that resides in fallen man's heart and it will come off his tongue. It will come off his tongue. I like what one theologian said about James's teaching here in James chapter 3. He says, obviously James is ultimately teaching about the human heart. We understand that. The tongue merely gives expression to what is in the heart. And actually, you can read the text and you can take out the word tongue and insert the word heart and the text will read just... Fine. This is one way we know that James is writing to his dispersed flock. This is a Jew writing to Jews. This is a very Hebrew way to express themselves. He's blaming the tongue, even though it is the heart. But it's a very concrete way that, that Hebrews will express themselves, holding the tongue accountable for what comes off of it when in fact it originates in the heart. Yes, Hitler, Stalin, Mao are extreme examples. These men destroyed millions of lives with their tongue. But this is one thing God is saying to you and to me in James chapter 3. 
you have the power to destroy. With your tongue, you can destroy love, you can destroy joy, you can destroy peace and trust, you can destroy your marriage, you can destroy your family, you can destroy your church, you can destroy friendships, reputations, careers, with your tongue. This is what God is saying to us. This is not a nice little devotional about gossip. God is warning us about the danger of an unbridled tongue. And it's serious because <laughs> you are your tongue. You are your tongue. Your tongue is a tattletale. It tells what your heart is thinking. We know what Hitler's heart was thinking. And you know what? Everyone around you, your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your friends, they know what's in your heart because it's on your lips. It's on your lips. It's on your tongue. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 34, for the mouth speaks out that which fills the heart. That's the Son of God speaking. That's the Son of God. I like the way MacArthur talks about this. He says, nowhere is the union of faith and works more obvious than in your speech. We talked at length the last couple of weeks about that faith and works chapter, that great chapter, chapter 2 of James. And MacArthur's right. There's no other place where the union of faith and works comes together so perfectly than in your speech and how you speak. Your tongue reveals your heart. And as we've been saying uh, in the last several weeks as we started the book of James, James has been telling us, hey, if you're a Christian, live like it. If you call yourself... Uh, uh, a son or, uh, or daughter of the living God live like it. And tonight he's going to say to us, talk like it. Talk like you're a Christian. Live like it and talk like it. I'm not teaching sinless perfection. I keep saying this in the book of James. I'm not teaching sinless perfection. None of us are, are perfect. You're actually, you're going to hear James say that in verse chapter 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. I'm not talking about... Uh, sinless perfection, but I'm talking about you bridling your tongue for the glory of Christ and for the edification of the saints and for the uh, evangelization of the lost. Bridle your tongue. It's the only reason you're here. The only reason He left you here is for His work. Yes, I've told you this many times, He grants us hundreds of subordinate joys. Praise God for the subordinate joys upon the earth that He grants us. But you're here to do the work of God you call yourself a son or daughter of the living God. That's why you're here. And he's calling us to account tonight in the book of James that we might use our tongue in a way that honors and exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting if you look at the book of James, how much ink God gives to this, to this uh, issue. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19, be quick to hear and slow to what? Speak. James 1.26, if a man does not bridle his tongue, he is deceived and his religion is worthless, God says. James 2.12, so speak as those who are judged by the law of liberty. Speak like a Christian. That's what that verse means. 4.11 of James, do not speak against one another, brethren. And James 5.12, my brethren, do not swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Someone's counted this up. I'm sure that good tax dollars were used to fund this project. Somebody's counted it up. Your average human being 
will uh, speak 18 to 25,000 words a day. Adam speaks 30. Your average human being, around 20,000. So let me ask you, what do your 20,000 words reveal about your heart? What do they reveal about your heart? Someone also calculated up that one-fifth of your life you will spend talking. One-fifth of your life you will spend speaking. What are you putting into the world, friends? What are you putting into the life of your spouse? What are you putting into the life of your children? What are you putting into the life of your church? What are you putting into the life? What are you doing with your 20,000 words a day? Are you exalting Christ and building up the body? Or is it all about you? <laughs> or is it about Him? Is it about Him? Verses 1 through 4. I've already read the text, but look what he says here in verse 1. Let many of you become teachers. Uh, Brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. James is putting himself in that group. He's, he's a teacher, but he says, hey, not, uh, don't let many of you become teachers. Uh, why? Because you incur a stricter judgment. Why? I think there are two reasons. One is implicit and one is explicit. The first one is implicit. A teacher has a responsibility before God to rightly divide the word. There's a tremendous liability before God for any man who would presume to stand in a pulpit. Or any, any person that would, would presume to teach a group of, of women or youth or whatever. There's a huge responsibility before God to rightly divide the word. I've told you this many times. When I'm preparing my sermon, I never think of you. Ever. I have an audience of one. I think of God. I don't, I don't think uh, of standing in front of you when I'm preaching. I, I think of standing in front of Him and giving an account. So I don't care what the elders think. I don't care what the deacons think. I don't care what the biggest giver in the church thinks. I don't care. I really don't. And as one of, one of my former pastors used to say, hey man, just preach with your bag packed. Just preach the Word of God and keep your bag packed. If you've got to go, you've got to go. Just preach the Word of God. And so that's how we approach things here at the International Church of Milan. And of course, there's that Old Testament and New Testament imagery about the false teacher having blood on his hands. But the, I think the second meaning is more explicit here. Because the teacher trades on his tongue, his or her tongue, that's his gift, and he speaks into the body. Because he's trading on his tongue, there's just huge exposure here. There's just huge exposure to sin. It just, it's just real. It's just there. It's a huge ex exposure to sin. So James is not, he's not uh, saying, hey, if you're called and gifted, you shouldn't teach. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a weighty responsibility here if you want to be a teacher in the body of Christ. Teachers incur a stricter judgment. They are held to a higher standard. This is what God is communicating to us. And you notice here in verse 2 that, that James is owning his own fallibility. He says we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body as well. So what's he talking about here, the perfect man? Obviously, we know he's not talking about someone who's morally perfect. There's never been a man like that, except one. He was the God-man. Jesus was morally perfect. But there's never been another morally perfect man since the fall. He's not talking about moral perfection. He's talking about spiritual maturity. That's what he's talking about. Spiritual maturity with our speech. 
The man of God who's spiritually mature, he speaks accurately. He speaks in a, in a way that is, is sanctified by the Spirit. It's God-exalting and Christ-honoring. That's what he's talking about, spiritual maturity. A speech that serves and edifies and comforts and encourages. And he says, he says a remarkable thing here. He says, at the end of verse 2, he says, able to bridle the whole body. He says, if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle the whole body. This is the inference, clearly, from the Word of God. Have you ever thought about that? If you can get control of your tongue, you can control the whole body. That's what God is saying. It's a very powerful thing. And then he gives us these two very powerful uh, examples here about in verse 3 and verse 4 about the horse, the horse's mouth and the bit and about the ship and the small rudder that steers a great ship. What a great, great illustration. Two powerful analogies. God is saying your tongue is a tattletale on your heart. You're telling on yourself every time you open your mouth what's really here what's really there. So let's think about these two, these two powerful analogies. What good is a horse without a bridle? It's no good at all. I mean, you can watch him. You can, you can appreciate his power and beauty, but you're not going to get any work out of him if you don't have, have that bridle. And what good is, is a ship, even, even the mightiest of warships? What good is it if it doesn't have a rudder? What good is it? Do you get the, the inference here from, from God's Word? If you can't control your tongue, what good is it? What good is it? What good is it? But with control of your tongue, God can use you in an awesome way. Both in the body and out in the world. Friends, uh, as I studied this passage, I just realized my tongue is a stewardship before the Father. My tongue is a stewardship. My words are stewardship before God. Before God. I, I like what uh, one commentator said it like this. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. In some way, it is a means to it. This is a clear inference of James chapter 3. The clear inference, I think. So why is controlling our tongue a motivation for us? Uh, in our Christian walk, there's some spiritual dynamic in, in, in alive and well in the person that can control his tongue that will enable him to control the balance of his body. Again, I think this is what God is communicating to us. I like what John MacArthur again says about this. He says, hey, you want to really get your Christian act together? You want to drive a stake in the ground and really live for God and honor God? He says, start with your tongue. Start right there. Start with the rudder of the ship. Start with the bit in the horse's mouth. Start right there. I think that's powerful advice. If you don't have control of your tongue, you're not going to have control of the rest of your spiritual life. You're not going to. And God says, I expect my people to have a bridled tongue. To have a bridled tongue. I love these metaphors in here. David got this. Psalm 39.1. Listen to David. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Let me ask you, friend, is that how it is with you? Are you guarding your tongue? Are you, are you exerting energy to guard your tongue <laughs> that you might not destroy with it, but that you might build up with it? 
That's why God's left you here, friend. That's why He's left you here. To be used of Him in that way. We were going to church this morning. Made a confession to the morning church. We were going to church this morning. I've been studying this for five days. And this guy cuts me off at the toll booth. I hate that. <laughs> and I've driven with some of you. I know how you are. I know how, you know how it is behind the wheel sometimes. Sometimes that anger comes out. And I said, I said it, wasn't so, it really wasn't too bad, but I said something. I said, Karen, can I say that? She goes, well, that's not really Christian. You know, I, would, I wouldn't say that, Jim. That's not, it wasn't a really, really bad thing, but it was, I realized after I said it, I thought, there's a man made in the image of God. And this is what James says to us. Even though he cut me off at the toe booth. So, our tongue reveals the unfinished work in our hearts. Amen? The unfinished work in our hearts. I like the Hebrew here in, in, in David's Psalm 39. I like this word, this Hebrew word translated guard. David says, I'm going to be a keeper of my tongue. David says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be wary of my tongue. He says, I'm going to be a watchman of it. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take control of my... I'm in charge of my tongue. I'm going to restrain my tongue, David says. And then this Hebrew word that's translated muzzle, he uses the same imagery that James uses. It means bridle. It simply means to bridle. Listen to the adjectives the Bible uses when it's talking about the tongue. I'm just going to give them to you shotgun style. I'm just going to blast them out to you real quick, okay? Just a list. Listen to this. This is what the Bible says explicitly and implicitly about the tongue, about speech, about our mouth. Listen to this. It's wicked. It's deceitful. It lies. It's perverse. It's filthy, corrupt, bitter, angry, uh, crafty, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, backbiting, blasphemous, uh, foolish, cursing, boasting, murmuring, complaining, contentious, sensual, and vile. This is what God says about the human uh, tongue. This is what God says. This is how He characterizes the fallen tongue of man. Look at verses 5 and 6. These are very, very powerful. Very powerful. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Verse 6. This is just, verse six is just indicting. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. That's why when I read that text, that's why my mind went to Auschwitz. This is what God is warning us about. The unbridled tongue of fallen man. Behold how great a forest fire is set aflame by a small fire. And I just, my mind went to some American history. Some of you aren't Americans. You won't be familiar with this. But October 8th, 1871, just after 9 o'clock, a small fire began in the barn behind uh, the O'Leary House in Chicago, Illinois. And when the fire died out, two days later, after a rainstorm, 300 people were dead, 100,000 people were homeless, and the whole center of Chicago was gone. Do you get God's metaphor here? How great a forest is set aflame by one spark. He's talking about your words, friends. 
God is talking about your words. And He's warning us about the potential for wildfire and utter devastation unleashed simply by words. Proverbs 16.27 An ungodly man digs up evil and in his lips there is a burning fire. We know, of course, that fire can be harnessed, right? And used productively. This is what God is calling His children to do. To harness that fallen member and to use it productively. But unbridled and unharnessed, it can wreak great havoc. And again, this is the, the scriptural picture that, that God is drawing for us. Man, you know, that verse 6 is just so, is so powerful. It almost sounds like hyperbole. You know, it almost sounds like God is exaggerating. No, He's not exaggerating. Go read your history books. He's not exaggerating. You'll see what man is capable of. And all of it came over his tongue to begin with. The cosmos, it unleashes a cosmos of iniquity, one translation says. I want to I read this. This is a great little paragraph. I want to read it to you. It's an American journalist who personified gossip. Okay? He personifies gossip. I'm talking about gossip. This is gossip talking. I want you to hear this. This is a powerful little paragraph. Gossip says, I am more deadly than the screaming shell from a howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes and break hearts. I wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for the truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is gossip. I know again, I'll say it again. I know many in the church think, well, you know, God kind of winks at this. This is not a big deal. Friends, it is a big deal. I, I was reading one commentator and he said, you know, you're carrying a concealed weapon around with you all the time. A concealed weapon is right here. Right here. It's called your tongue. It has the power to destroy. I looked up uh, in the English, uh, the NAS, that's the translation I use, New American Standard. It's the most literal to the, to the original languages. And the word gossip, gossip shows up seven times in Scripture. And uh, three of those times, the, the, word in, the descriptive term in front of it is malicious. <laughs> this is how God sees gossip. Malicious. This is what He calls And the word malicious means to be hateful, to be spiteful, to be cruel, and to be wicked. This is how God sees gossip. This is not a little devotional on, on you know, we shouldn't gossip. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. You know, you've got to... You've got to see how God ranks the sin of gossip. You go to Romans chapter 1, and you're reading about the total depravity of man. In Romans chapter 1. And I've always been astonished. What's in that list? But he's talking about, in Romans chapter 1, he's talking about homosexuality, wickedness, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, slanderers, arrogance, inventors of evil, haters of God, and what else? Gossips! Gossips included in there. Haters of God and gossips. I bet you didn't know that was in there, did you? You know what else it says? Uh, uh, disobedient to parents. Yeah, sometimes it's astonishing what's in the lists that God 
when he starts talking about the total depravity of man. And then in another place, Paul's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he's talking about the gross sin that will be unleashed, that will be unleashed in the last days. And he's talking, he's talking about that men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be boastful, arrogant, revilers, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, and ma- uh, malicious gossips. That's what God says. Friend, God means for you to guard your tongue. He means for you to muzzle it. He means for you to bridle it. And He means for you to use it in such a way that Christ is communicated to a lost world and that you edify the flock, that you encourage those around you. God means for you to use that weapon in your, in your head for good purposes. Are you? Let me, just out, let me just ask you, Christian. Are you? Are you consciously? Are you like David? If you have made, made a vow before God that you'll, you'll uh, bridle your tongue and muzzle, muzzle your tongue if you have to, are you, are you a, a good watchman over your tongue? This is what God is calling us to do. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. <laughs> he says, man, human beings can tame any creature on the planet. They can tame tigers and lions and bears. Oh my. And they, and they can tame... Uh, Killer whales and porpoises. They, a man can tame anything. But what does the text say? He can't tame his tongue. That's what the text says. No man can tame the tongue. It doesn't say that it can't be tamed. It says no man can tame it. Who can tame our tongue? The Holy Spirit. If we'll submit ourselves to Him. The Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. Verse 9 and 12. 9 through 12. It says, with, with this tongue we bless the Lord and we curse men who are made in the image of God. And then he, talks, he, starts, talking about, he starts talking about conversion, which we've been talking about all the way through James. He starts talking about conversion. Those a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Fresh water doesn't come from a bitter spring. What's coming out of your mouth? And bitter water doesn't come from a fresh spring. What's coming out of your mouth, Christian? Olives don't grow on fig trees. That's what God says. And figs don't grow on grapevines. He says, if you're a Christian, I want you to talk like it. I want the world, I've said this to you, that He wants the world to realize, hey, that's a follower of Jesus. I hear it. I hear it in their speech. I see it in their life. I see it in their deeds. People are to be drawn. Oh, I saw that great text. I was studying this week. I saw that great verse. We're to adorn the doctrine of God. Let me ask you, friend, is that a big deal with you? (laughs) God calls His people to adorn the doctrine of God. To make Jesus famous in the world. That's what He's calling us to do. Sarah Groves, uh, we've been talking a lot about her song lately. She sings that song, Everything's Changed. And we've been making much of it. That If in fact we've been born again, the life changes. It breaks open and it spills all out into our life. This is what we've been talking about. And it will be on your tongue as well. James is saying that Christians are 
Sons and daughters of God are to be conspicuously different in the way we walk and in the way we talk. We know what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If any man is in Christ, he's what? He's brand new. He doesn't talk like he used to. His tongue is different. His speech is different. His mouth is different. His heart is different. He doesn't walk and he doesn't talk like he used to. And I'll close with the words of Jesus. Jesus basically says, you can read a man's heart just like a book. All you have to do is listen for a little while. All you have to do is listen. Just for a little while. This is the words of Jesus. Listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, 34b to 37. I'm just going to turn there real quick and read it to you. These are the words of Jesus. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. This is just a mirror image of what James is saying about the fresh water and the bitter water. Verse 36, And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render an account for it in the day of judgment. Did you know that, friend? It's not just every evil word that's spoken. My NAS translation says every careless word that men speak, they will have to render an account for it. Obviously, Jesus is talking about those who are outside of Christ in that regard. But this is how high the bar is. This is how high God sets the bar for us. And look at verse 37. This will blow your socks off if you've never heard it. For by your words you shall be justified. And by your words you shall be condemned. We saw it last week. James says, by our works we are justified. It's the same principle. What is he saying? Well, we hammered it uh, quite extensively last week, but I'll just touch on it one more time. All James is saying that if, if the born-again thing has happened, if it's real, if we're begotten of God, if we're born of the Spirit, it will be spilling out into the life. People will be able to see that our justification by faith alone is real. It's in the life. It's on our tongue. This is what Jesus is saying. It's all He's saying. The tongue gives evidence of the condition of the heart. The tongue gives evidence of the condition of our hearts. So, Christian, what are your 20,000 words revealing about you? How are you spending that one-fifth of your life? God calls us to speak in such a way that Christ is exalted, that we serve the body, that we encourage and edify the brethren, that we love our neighbors, that we share the gospel. So, that's how the redeemed are to use their tongues. So I just want to encourage you tonight to speak gracious words and kind words, loving words, holy words, words of truth, even if the person you're speaking, even if they don't want to hear the truth. We love people enough. We've said it a hundred times in this pulpit. We love people enough to tell them the truth. We love them enough to tell them the truth. Some people think that Christianity is, is full of hate and venom. That's wrong. I know there's a lot of false expressions of Christianity in the world, but we, we, we speak the truth because we love people. So love, to love people enough to speak the truth, edifying words, 
Gentle words, comforting words, peaceful words, words of blessing, words of humility, words of wisdom, words of thanksgiving. As I told the morning congregation, speak those words, those guilt-removing, sin-annihilating, and hell-crushing words. We speak the gospel. We speak the gospel so people don't have to be bound up in sin and they can taste the salvation, the beautiful salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what are you doing with your 20,000 words, Christian? What are you doing? Maybe some of us in here need to be like David. Maybe we need to make that commitment that we're going to guard our tongue and we're going to muzzle if we have to. Jesus says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil? This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank You that you, uh, You're always so uh, forthright with us. You're always able to, to sh show us just how, how, how dire just how devastating some things can be that we may think lightly about. Thank You, Lord, that You've exhorted us to not only walk as Christians, but to talk like real Christians. Thank You for David's exhortation and admonition that we, we too, Father, might guard our tongues and if, if necessary, muzzle them. But Lord, we, we ask for Your help. We know that our sanctification is not complete. There's not one of us in here that has arrived. We're all works in progress. And we pray for Your help, Lord God. We pray that You'll help us bridle our tongues. That we will speak life and joy and love and encouragement and comfort. That we will come alongside with our tongue and love and serve. And Lord, that we would not think lightly about gossip anymore. And certainly we will not engage in it. Oh God, I pray that You'll help us to not only tame our hearts, but to tame our tongues. That we might be a clean vessel. Just a conduit of grace and truth that You just flush through our lives as we speak the beauty and the awesome truth of the Gospel of Christ. And in our families, people will be, be converted in our neighborhoods, people will be converted because we're speaking truth. We're magnifying Christ. Lord God, help us to be men and women like that. Thank You for this great exhortation. Thank You for this challenge. Beautiful Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.